I kind of oscillate between my revolutionary thinking being grounded in realism versus like being grounded in like idealism. And I don't really know where the right, the right place is. Right. Because it seems because, like the way that you got places like the Greenwood district of Tulsa was like, that sounded like it required a ton of idealism, especially because this was happening like at that time, right. When things were so much shittier than now. Yeah. And even now and, that kind of thing kind of seems a little bit inconceivable. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. This is our 100th episode. (laughs) 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 You know, just yesterday, you know, I have like every now and again, I get reminders that like people do listen to our show, you know, like, yeah, my sister listens to my show and my friend texted me and was like, Hey, one of my friends loves your show. I'm going to send them a sticker unless you have any more. Like, you know, it's just nice. People do care. I feel like it is now we, we just like have a canon, you know, and we I, I feel like we've just been able to talk to so many cool people. And I do think that like part of my whole uh, like it's kind of confirmed for me that I think a lot of our generational wavelength is just like we are basically on the same page. Right. I feel like we've had so many of these conversations with people who like we all know, we all know the problems are going on. And uh, it it just even when we find people kind of randomly on Reddit, it is very much like I feel like we are part of this larger cultural thing that's going on. Yeah. And this is you very know, much I evidence. That- like, like before, I thought it was just like, oh, well, my bubbles are, are talking about this. Maybe this is just anecdotal. I mean, I feel like a lot of, like, at, at this point, we've talked about so much, uh, like, systemic, but, like, it, it is basically, like, the problem that we are, have, you know, the main problem we have to solve, you know? 100%. Like, how, how to get the people in power to seed power. Right, and, like, I, I get very frustrated with people, you know, I have this conversation all the time. Right. And there there are some people who are like, oh, you know, like. We just have to. Be down with the the violent revolution. Right. And I it makes me really under like partially I have been very frustrated, like with people like my dad. Right. Who I grew up, you know, was also a hippie and kind of like grew up in that era of anti kind of government, anti-war sentiment. Right. And I can see on the one hand, like on the so on the one hand, I am I am all the reason the source of my frustration is that I'm like, why do you have to be so cynical? Like that almost feels privileged and immature to be this cynical and feel like you can't change anything. Right. Yeah. But on the other hand, it is really difficult to go through things that are now, I think, getting a lot more media and press exposure, like like the the Tulsa race massacre and the fact you know like the assassination of fred hampton and like all of these really um targeted government like initiatives to crack down and snuff out any level of you know even just completely nonviolent, like just like reference programs right yeah and like that must have taken so much effort and so much work to put together in the first place, right? And to just see those things happen must be incredibly, incredibly demoralizing, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that that's really interesting you bring that up because I when you talked about your father, the first person that I talked about is actually my partner's father, who was incredibly cynical. He also is like deeply depressed, you know, but um he's incredibly cynical to the point of you know, like you know, you know, like I, he has a bad time a lot of the time because of how of how bad the world is. Yeah. And but <laughs> It's funny because, like, both of these guys that we're talking about are white guys. Yeah. You know? And we're not even the target of the, of, you know, the things that we're talking about. So, I, you know, it's, it's just interesting that you bring up privilege because I don't know if I'd ever, like, you know, thought about it in this framework before. But, like, <laughs> I think, you know, like, the black community, some of us are are surely... Are surely like downtrodden and like broken down, right? But a lot of us are like, you know, this isn't really a choice. Like, there isn't the, 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 we have to keep prospering. So we just have to keep trying, right? Right. There's no like, there's no like ability to be c- cynical enough to opt out. We just like keep trying to lift up our communities in whatever way we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and, <laughs> So that's an interesting, yeah, that's like just like what crossed my mind when we were talking about that. The fact, I mean, it's like when we were talking about the Yolanda, where she was like, oh, well, black women are leading this movement in every state, like across the country, because there's really no choice, really, you know? <laughs> we don't have the option of being empathetic and having this comfortable life, because that was not an option that we ever yeah. was afforded to us in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, I mean, it, it's uh, and like <sighs> it's uncomfortable, but I think we said this before on the show too. You know, like the responsibility of progression always falls on the people that are most oppressed. Yeah. So I and mean, it's always them working against the minutia. You know. Right. So I guess like maybe my frustration is a little bit misplaced because like my frustration frustration is with the allies, like the people who are privileged who would have to give up time and energy and power who are living these comfortable lives. But I I mean, like, I don't know. Do you think that, I think that that is going to be a pretty necessary demographic for the, to be involved for this watershed moment, if that were to exist, to succeed, you know? You mean like the, 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 the more privileged, like, people that can opt out? Well, yeah, well, maybe, but, like, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Like, maybe those people are actually kind of unnecessary. I don't see how they, I, I don't, I don't see how they could not be necessary, right? Like, I mean, the people, I think the people that we're talking about in terms of, like, the people that have enough privilege to be able to, like, kind of sit back and opt out, I think that by design, like, capitalism keeps those people, like, right in the middle right and these are the people that like are living right on the cusp of a comfortable life but like you know they don't have enough money to like act as reckless like act super recklessly because they you know they could lose it in it in a couple of bad incidents and then the people that we're talking about that are like having to work really hard are the people that are like you know this life they're like kind of at the bottom and like they're just like this life isn't sustainable i like I have to be revolutionary in order to like build a better life for generations to come, right? Um, so I, in short, I do think we need. I mean, I think this is like 
classic capitalism theory, right? Like in order to make progress, you need the middle class and the lower class to band together because that is the majority of people. Mm-hmm. And even even when you have that, right? Even when even once that happens within our system of government, there's still a lot of leaps and hurdles that you have that like that movement has to jump. I think a good example of that is like <laughs> taxing the wealthy their fair share. I think it's pretty uncontroversial that you know people should be able people should be paying equal tax rate, like taxes at least equal if not more on the upper end of things. But that literally doesn't happen, right? We know it doesn't happen. And I think that like the middle and lower class are pretty mad about it and like would like something to be done about it, but the people in power are the ones that aren't really paying the taxes, so what what are we going to do? <laughs> right. Well, that's why um the whole Rainbow Coalition was so unique and why the FBI felt like it had to like take it out, right? Is like that seems to be like the main, you know, most recent point in history where that actually did happen, right? And people weren't willing to just be complacent, right? They were starting to identify that a lot of the values that capitalism upholds is literally just cruel, right? Yeah. And I, I wish that that energy was happening now. Like, I just, I, I, I think obviously we like tend to romanticize and like glorify things that are, I mean, I don't even, I didn't, I wasn't alive during this time. Right. But like people were literally just like their main focus was sitting around figuring out, okay, like we're planning the revolution. Like, what are we literally going to do? You know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like what? What does that look like, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's just like, that's just, that's just like planning for, you know, what do you want your life to look like? Mm-hmm. And when you're in that position and you're already fucking like dreaming, you know, yeah. like that's, you're, you're not, you're not restricted because you're already like trying to break the bounds of what is happening. Right. So like, let's go full utopia. Like that's like, that's Yolanda style, right? Like she's like, I'm trying to make a life you know where like black like single black women can go and live on this fucking farm and be completely sustainable right and off the grid and you know i think like that is revolutionary in that like a lot of people if a lot of people did it and opted out of capitalism that would be dope but it seems like you know she would be equally as happy for just her and like the 20 people that she wants to bring for do for to do that so interesting on like you know what is what is revolutionary and what isn't yeah well i mean a lot of those things that i think we would envision if we were like oh yeah like let's create this like nice little commune are just not scalable things in any way right and in fact most people in america seem like they really really don't want redistribution or socialism or these things that seem very obviously good to me (laughs) very obviously good so like why force it on them? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean something like fucking socialism, you know, it's it's not it's not an opt in opt out thing, right? Like you got either we're doing it or right, we're not. That's the thing is it, it 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 works based on economies of scale basically. You know, the premise for the show when it was first started was like yeah, it's it was a pretty like antagonistic premise, right? It was like how are we making people mad like how are millennials fucking you know like 
really, really, really disrupting society. And I do think that that's happening to some degree, but, and granted, we like mostly interview millennials, so that's kind of a, a bit of a bubble here. But yeah, I think that I'm also kind of struck by how oftentimes, you know, people are essentially there already when we talk to them, right? They're like, yeah, you know, things are fucked. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and we want it to change, you know, like there isn't much convincing that needs to be done on that front. Mm-hmm. And that most people are pretty rational. Like I'm thinking back to the cancel culture episode where, where, you know, I was expecting to be like, I was expecting to have a conversation with someone that was like, oh yeah, we should cancel. We should just be canceling everybody. Like everyone deserves it. Like canceling is like the right, you know, whatever. Like I was like, I was like ready to kind of take an antagonistic stance. And then Carlin was like, yeah, you know, not, not everyone deserves, <laughs> deserves to be quote unquote canceled. Like what is canceling? Like, you know, she had a very nuanced take on what canceling was and like when, when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate. Yeah. I feel like most people are just a lot more reasonable than I like than you think they're going to be, especially when given a platform to like really speak on what they feel and long and long form, you know? Yeah. I, if you, what are your, uh, what are some of your favorite episodes? Oh, well, definitely the one, I think the Rowan's episode, the radicalization episode was my favorite one. Yolanda's episode. I mean, those are ones that, and like, you know, Sean's episode too, like things that I think are, as I have been kind of going through this process of radicalization, like basically while we have been recording this show, have been yeah. pretty radically changing my worldview, you know? Yeah, you have been definitely getting more radical. Do you think you're happier or less happy? Than- <laughs> I don't even, I don't necessarily know if I, if happiness is the thing that I'm like optimizing for. I think yeah. I actually, we need to feel a little bit more bad. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I think that will actually be what motivates I mean honestly this, like a lot of what I've been thinking about recently has been that unfortunately we're not just we're just not feeling the desperation that the people like in the 80s had or the 60s you know like the late 60s and that is what what actually kind of got them to to go for these alternate like these pretty radical alternate lifestyles and visions of what the world could be right yeah, and I think that that desperation is a pretty necessary part. I mean, I think in all areas of my life, like I'm trying to start a business, right? And I think that desperation is a pretty integral part of starting a business too, right? So like, I honestly feel like yeah. being too happy is dangerous. Yeah, I mean, things were definitely just generally much worse in the 60s, you know? It's hard to replicate that that desperateness. And I, you know, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want the setting of the 60s to come back that like produced the desperation um it's weird because we see it in pockets now you know like i think of march for our lives where like you know the kids were like dude we're like literally getting shot in schools a lot like a many a lot of us are getting shot in schools and that was really really big it was a really really big contemporary issue um for like a year and then it kind of died back and, and died and in, back into the background, maybe because there's been less school scooting, school shootings, but maybe it's just that there are so many school shootings that we're not hearing about them as much anymore. I'm not sure, but. I think there are still a lot of, I mean, I guess the pandemic is probably throwing a wrench in those statistics because people weren't yeah, in schools. Yeah, for sure. But um, I think the kids are still getting shot, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, do you think that the you at the beginning of the show would have agreed with the sentiment that you're not optimizing for happiness? Mm, well, I guess it's kind of a different answer for what we should be doing societally versus what I'm doing locally for myself, right? Yeah. I am just a very naturally happy person. And I don't even think it has a lot to do with my external environment or even my worldview. I think it's just a chemical thing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I don't think I deserve any credit either way. So it's never something it's never something you've had to optimize for. No. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know but I also feel like in your head and this is I think it's kind of similar for me too. Um I don't I don't experience dissatisfaction with the world as quote unquote sadness. You know, like I don't yeah. really I don't experience it like like as like ruining my day sometimes it ruins my day like about a year ago when the george floyd shit was going down like that was like having a real actual effect on my like ongoing mental state and i was like much much sadder and like in a worse mental place for sure um but for most of the stuff it doesn't ruin my day but maybe that like <laughs> you know according to your desperation theory like that's not a good thing right like we like you kind of need it to be looming and all-encompassing in order to like spur harsh action on it it's like what did greta thunberg say at the un conference that she you know sailed to the america to attend right <laughs> she was just yeah. like why are you guys so not freaking out you should be freaking out right like you're the literal yeah. leaders of the globe <laughs> and you're, yeah. you're not like you out. guys are the guys that like <laughs> you're responsible for the world and, and the world is in a pretty <laughs> shitty fucking place so like i don't know why it's going <laughs> really bad man yeah and like you have to rein in your countries this is insane yeah. <laughs> um man climate change and this is why climate i really like that, that that self-care episode like i really wonder if that narrative is actually good for the cause right yeah, because I do think that it's kind of a narrative that says, "Oh, it's okay." I mean, I guess I think that it applies to a very narrow subset of people who are doing like the main work that are getting burned out. Like that applies, but I don't think that like this whole self care narrative necessarily should apply to most people because I do think most people I know are like hanging out. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they're not. You yeah, know? yeah. Um. There's a difference between taking a self-care day because, you know, you had a busy week of seeing your friends and working your cushy job and you just need a day to unwind versus, like, taking a self-care day because, like, you you're know. You're only sleeping two hours a night like, because you're, like, man, like Because you're, like, grinding in the community yeah. or, like, whatever, you right. know. Yeah. Right. For sure. But, like, most people really are like, doing that, right? At least that I know of. Yeah. I don't know. It's dangerous, man. I, like... I don't think there's a right answer, right? Like, I think that obviously yeah, there's, it's dangerous to go too far in either direction. Yeah, I think a lot of people are of the mindset that, like, you know, focusing on yourself is, it's kind of a newer privilege, right? Like, it's, it's something that wasn't afforded to a lot of people, especially a lot of marginalized people. So, like, you know, I, there's, I've seen this narrative of, like, self-care is revolutionary, which, like, you know, I tend to hate slogans and shit like that and i don't agree necessarily but i understand where the sentiment is right it's like you know maybe 
maybe I'm down to trade like the speed at which or like the urgency with which people act for a little bit more peace of mind in the general populace. You know, like I I I I think that the sort of desperation factor gets at this idea that the amount of urgency that people act with is, pre is pretty like linearly reactionary to how much duress they're in, right? And uh, I'm glad that people are in less duress, generally, you know? Right, right. But then, like, it has this effect of being like, okay, then, like, we are able to be a little bit more complacent and, like, I guess it's just like the the argument of like incrementalism versus uh like trying to <laughs> fuck up the whole system, right? As I think that like yeah. both of us are pretty much on the whole after having done a lot of like considering like verbally on this podcast, I think we're still pretty much like yeah, we believe in incrementalism. I'm I'm a pretty yeah, I believe in incrementalism, which I think that like I think is kind of a taboo situation. I've had arguments with people about this. You know, I just don't, I don't think that like the, I, I don't think that there are two schools of thought. I think that like, well, there are definitely two schools of thought. Let me, let me amend my statement. I don't think that it makes sense to think on this binary because the two like revolutions don't happen overnight to act as if incrementalism doesn't work is to act as if there aren't people on the ground pushing little by little to spur a revolution to act as if incrementalism doesn't work like okay then why does anyone ever build a movement ever if incrementalism doesn't work well i guess i guess the better word than incrementalism is like how much basically change do you expect to see through the system like through things like yeah. politics versus trying to actively dismantle the system and I think, you know, I, you know, I, this is something that I was just talking with my, you know, like campaign manager friend about is like, you know, he's like, look, like you, it's just easier to reform like Goldman Sachs than it is to take down Goldman Sachs. You know? Yeah, it's just easier. <laughs> you know, like. I mean, Goldman Sachs is too big to fail. But that's kind right? of controversial, like, right? I think a lot of people would, in our generation, in terms of our, like, you know, solutioning around these issues, would say, no, you should take down Goldman Sachs. It's irreformable, right? I yeah. think that's kind of a controversial thing. Yeah, I mean, I, we can it, replace Goldman Sachs with police and then we're having, you know, a contemporary conversation. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but I think it's a similar concept, right? Like, reform versus, re like, abolish or whatever. Um. It is just easier, hundred percent, to do the one to do the thing and like reform. Um, but it's slower, it's less satisfying, and it's uh, you know, it's not very, yeah, it's not very quick, which is the same thing as slower. Yeah. <laughs> um, and somewhat ineffective. I, I've, I kind of, I kind of oscillate between my revolutionary thinking being grounded in realism versus like being grounded in like idealism. And I don't really know where the right, the right place is. Right. Because it seems because like the way that you got places like the Greenwood district of Tulsa was like, that sounded like it required a ton of idealism, especially because this was happening like at that time, right. When things were so much shittier than now. 
Yeah. And even now, and that kind of thing kind of seems a little bit inconceivable, right? Even though it literally happened. Like a community of black people that like or is like flourishing and kind and of thriving people. and have wealth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, we don't see that kind of pockets of like those pockets of community. Like anymore, we see individuals you know, like, who are super wealthy. For sure. But it's not this group communal thing going on. Yeah, man. I mean, like this, like it's and it's intentional, obviously, like we know that. But, you know, there's more there's like Jay-Z has. A ton of power, but he's completely bought into the capitalist system, right? I do think that like the group of, you know, a thousand, like a hundred families, a thousand people in a community that are like really like lifting themselves up and like have are gaining some economic traction. Like that might be more dangerous than one Jay-Z. You know, and that and it seems like our capital, our capitalist nation, you know, has understood that and has crushed these communities for this reason. <laughs> and by the way, I'm sure many of our listeners know this, but like Tulsa's not even close to the only, Except. you know, massacre that happened to black people because they were in a in a rich community. Look up Wilmington. <laughs> um, I definitely definitely it takes a, it takes idealism. I mean, like the answer to everything on our show, the answer is both. You need both. But like, I don't know where I should be sitting on the scale. Um, and the reason I bring this up is because, you know, we, I don't know if I, have we ever seen an example of anyone able to like successfully take down an institution, anything comparable to taking out, like ab abolishing the police or taking out Goldman Sachs? Like, has that ever happened? Well, that's the thing is I feel like it's the the thing that is not just I can't, I can't necessarily think of like the example that you're talking about, but I do think there were eras of history where we built pretty radical institutions that doesn't seem like it would be viable today. Like like, you know, the New Deal and libraries and like public schools. Like, would we fund any of that shit in our current political environment? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> that seems pretty radical like from today's political perspective right yeah but look what it was birthed from a huge you know? fucking like the great depression the nation was burning but the thing is like the nation is burning like literally burning right now right like you know california is on fire not even just part of the year now it's just on fire all of the time <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> I guess yeah. the fear is that like you know the situation might be in some respects comparable but we seem to be a little bit more complacent about it yeah I don't know I mean maybe this is just like maybe this is just the brainwashing talking I feel like the most comparable thing like before COVID I don't know if we'd had anything that was like as wide sweepingly bad as the depression right like and the thing is now that we we have had COVID Right. Yeah. Now COVID is here, and we did a bad job, but we did a better job. We we were more reactionary to COVID than I've ever seen this country be to anything, literally. And we literally did put in like unemployment insurance and eviction moratoriums and all the progressive things exactly. that we not all of them obviously, but like you know a lot of the progressive things that we didn't see as being viable before. I I guess my point in saying this is that like I think pre COVID and like you know going into a post COVID world. I don't know if it's, you know, like the world, the country is burning, but it feels more subtle than like a depression, right? 
and it feels like less far reaching, you know, like everyone was having a bad time in the depression, except for like the wealthiest of wealthy, right? Like, and (laughs) you know, like you, you out of you and your 10 friends, like eight of you didn't have fucking jobs (laughs) and you were like lining up for the food stamp line each day. Right. Yeah. Um, and so like that i think that situation is more dire than anything that we'd seen up until you know like a year ago yeah it's kind of a catch-22 right like you don't want things to be shitty obviously but the shitty things are what bring the good things yeah man i don't know i don't fucking know what do we do i know i know that's always the case shit's kind of happening though you know i know i I mean like i know it's getting repetitive but i am basically just like look this is like what we have to just sit down and like figure out you know what i mean I do think that um, change is still happening, as we know. It's just slow. You know, we have corporate pride now. <laughs> That's nice. You know, we, we're going to have corporate Juneteenth next year. That's going to be exciting. I, I, I'm excited to see all the shit that was created by slave labor celebrating the freeing of the slaves. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever see a world in which you, bec- like, you become so cynical that, you know, like you're having a bad time? Maybe. I mean, I think the key is to, despite, you know, knowing all of this shit going on, right, is you have to, it's almost like a left brain, right brain thing, right? Like the, I don't remember which is which, but like the. <laughs> I think, I think the left brain is the like motor function and rational like, intelligence yeah. and right side is like creative. Emotional. Yeah. So it's sort of like your, your left brain, your rational brain has to basically even though it knows all of the terrible shit that's going on you have to actively lie to yourself for the benefit of the right brain right so that you can maintain your emotional sense of hope and motivation even though you know that you could just be completely illusioning yourself and like that there actually is no hope but like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy so you have to lie to the right brain, you know? <laughs> yeah. Even though you actively know that's what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, knowledge is bad, yo. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it, because it does Everyone's encourage the exact mindset of apathy that allows the system to perpetuate itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. The simple narrative taught in every history class is demonstrably false and pedagogically classist. <laughs> oh my god, I can't, this didn't uh, even come out that long. I can't believe you've already memorized it. I've memorized the, almost the whole special. Really? How, how many times you watched it? Probably like four. Oh, okay, wow. But, but then the soundtrack came out, which allows me to like listen to it oh, unfettered. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I don't, I, this is actually a really interesting theory not theory really interesting if for me it's interesting i don't know if it's interesting for our listeners whether they're gonna hear it (laughs) um i i feel like i memorize stuff like musicals and or like songs in visual media much faster than i if i memorize then then like i would be able to memorize just audio songs yeah and i think it's because i think it's because of like the more complete memory of it you know like when i when I, I remember, like, and I watch things with captions, so I have this, like, kind of photographic, not photographic, I have this visual memory 
of watching Bo perform these songs and like reading the, the lyrics as he was performing them. And like, I think that more complete memory allows me to more quickly memorize things. Also, I think Bo is a, a pretty archetypical example of the kind of kind of lazy ally I'm talking about, right? Because he has these songs about being woke and being guilty and feeling all of this, like, you know, especially that one song that's like, oh, should I give away all my money? No, you know, right? And like, that's exactly <laughs> what we're all, you know what I mean? Should I give away my money? No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what that's exactly what i'm talking about that's what we're all doing yeah but it's also what he's talking about i know i know but like like literally like what is bo doing other than profiting off of like everyone else also feeling the sense of guilt you know yeah i don't know yeah i don't know maybe stuff i don't know (laughs) (laughs) or maybe not stuff yeah um do you i mean do you feel like it's everyone's responsibility like moral obligation to try to make the world a better place. I do. You do feel that way. Yeah. And I'm guessing that if you do feel that way, then you also must believe that it is even more of a responsibility for people that have like power and privilege. More privilege. Yeah. Yeah. I think generally I agree with you, but there are a lot of like moral obligations that people that like, you know, people just don't do. And like that's kind of trash but well also it's it's like you can't do anything about it right like talking about it guilting people about it it's just not effective anyway so it's just kind of like you're spinning your wheels for no goddamn reason yeah man i don't know i think yeah i don't know i don't fucking know i um (laughs) (laughs) i feel like in my head i have a like community community uplift uh quota and then i do things that on a monthly or like bi-weekly basis that you know in my head i'm like all right i did a thing for the community and <laughs> i'm good i'm good to go it's almost like there's right. it's like the social justice equivalent of like catholic guilt right everyone has this original sin you can never escape it right yeah that's actually a really good analogy for it I <laughs> you know i i keep cash in my car right i keep cash in my car to give to homeless people and why do I do this? I do this one because I have a lot of money relative to how much I used to have. I have a lot of disposable income. You know, I take 50 bucks in, out in cash a month, put it in the car or as, as needed and give it to people that ask. Um, I also do it because it makes me feel better about myself because I feel very guilty when I see homeless people walking and pan, like panhandling for money, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the age-old question is, uh, do these, like, you know, does do any of those feelings negate the worth of the action? <laughs> yeah, and I tend to believe, I guess I kind of, like, you know, have historically been like, yes, they do. Uh, and, like, you know, you shouldn't tell people about all the money you donate or whatever. But I guess now, especially as I've been more and more like looking around and being like, oh, my God, what's everybody doing? I guess I am kind of yeah. coming around to the idea that you should tell everybody <clears throat> because then it will seem as if like people are giving a fuck about things, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I get no pleasure. In fact, I get I, I get like a, a different kind of more unique kind of guilt from telling people that I do this mm-hmm. than I um, 
like I would actually rather not tell people that it happens. Um, because well, it because feels I, like this virtue signaling thing of like, oh, yes. Yeah. And I think that I it also is like, you know, it's hard to admit that you're doing this like a lot, at least a large part and largely in part because you're just guilty. But <laughs> um, yeah, but um, me, I mean, maybe there is some merit to saying it in order to shame other people into doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Cough it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think, and that's how you, and that's how you affect change. No, it's not. But <laughs> whatever. Yeah. So basically, like, yeah, I think people can only benefit from experiencing more discomfort. From feeling more ashamed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then obviously we have like these mental health crises that are plaguing the entire world and the nation. So. <laughs> You know, just can't win. One thing, one thing at a time, right? Yeah. I don't know. How's how's fucking Philly? Uh, it's like you know, I am doing a lot of. Le- I don't have very many friends here, so I'm doing a lot of leaning on my long distance friends that I've been calling. And I had this very pleasant conversation the other day with someone who I just kind of like randomly called out of the blue that is like a, not a super close friend. Uh, I had talked yeah. to her in a while, but like we were talking about how it is so much better to, when you're talking to someone you haven't seen in a long time to not do the thing that I think we're conditioned to do, which is just like check in with people because that's like, pretty boring and not really the thing you actually want to know about what's going on in their life i thought i hate checking in i don't yeah i like i hate it i don't like you know my life isn't different right there's not enough variation in my life especially in a post-pandemic world right the things that make your life interesting are not really the circumstances of like you know your day-to-day life right am i am i you should just jump straight into a conversation it's just Right. It's just like what's going on in your head and like what kind of like thoughts you're grappling with. And I assume and like that I'm just always kind of like grappling with something, you know, and I feel like most people probably are. Yeah, for sure. Like at least subconsciously. Right. So you have to like it's, it's kind of an art to fast track yourself into the real conversation. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I've always been pretty anti small talk with people that I'm meeting for the first time. Um, but I think that, yeah, I need to, I need to take more of a staunch anti small talk with friends. Yeah. Because, like, you still, you're right, there is that urge, like, to talk when you're talking to somebody on the phone to, like, oh, my God, how have you been? Anything new? You know? And, like, that's still boring as shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it also feels almost like an undue kind of burden to immediately lodge into, like, let me tell you about, like, my struggles in my relationship. If you haven't talked to someone in a year, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But, I mean, like, that's, like you know that's meaty ass topic right and like i would prefer people just launch into talk that because then we have right? something to talk about you know exactly that's like you know you can explain to me the situation yeah i can give you real-time feedback like that's a good conversation that's like you know high stakes right right so we need to normalize doing that more <laughs> yeah i heavily agree okay <laughs> well uh happy 100th episode thanks for listening as always you can find us at i'm the villain pod our gmail it's our instagram it's our twitter um we're fucking doing this shit it's lit bye